Join us for critical conversations about things that matter. Every Friday at 10am on 3CR Community Radio, 855am on your dial. And on 3CR Digital and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So together, let's think again about important matters affecting us, like economics, politics, education, health, climate, and what we can do about it all. Welcome to Think Again, a program produced by Borderlands Cooperative. We have been working for positive social change on an ecological responsibility for more than 25 years. I'm Jacques Boulet. Jennifer is not with me today because she is actually attending a conference on community development in Darwin and doing some tourism after that. So the person I had hoped would be ready for an interview unexpectedly could not do it this week. So I'll be basically by my own and musing a bit, thinking again a bit, about housing today. Housing which is certainly in the news and uh, to which we also have devoted several previous programmes and we particularly also have devoted the next issue of the new Community Journal which Borderlands is cooperating with, as you probably meanwhile have uh, already come to know. So housing. In in the Saturday Age on the 3rd of June, there was an article which was written by one of our favourite commentators, and that's Ross Gittins, and he titled it Try Building Where We Wanted to Live. And that was a uh, piece of research which was uh, done by the New South Wales Productivity Commission uh, who had written a report about the crisis in the housing sector. And the main thing where that uh, report ended up suggesting was that one of the big causes of Australia's housing crisis has to do with the fact that housing developments are planned and built in the wrong places. So the commissioner's words with which Gittins, Ross Gittins, finishes his article, they really sort of reveal the one-track thinking in which housing in Australia remains trapped. And I quote, If you believe, as I do, that today's kids deserve the same shot at the Australian dream that my generation had, we need to change our planning system and build near existing infrastructure to make room for them. End of quote. So there, that that simple, just find the right place to build. Which is a rare superficial contribution, really, from Ross Gittens, which who usually is more thorough as a commentator. Because everywhere else you read rather more somber and more complex views about... Uh, and also you hear them on broadcast, many don't even try to propose solutions to the crisis. For example, the state of the nation's housing 20-22 by the National Housing Finance and Investment Corporation estimates that, conservatively, 377,600 households are currently in housing need. 331 in rental stress and 46,000 experiencing homelessness. That's close to a million individuals. That's just one lot. 
because of the fact if you just think about those who are what I would call in mortgage stress with all the increases in uh, the rates uh, on their mortgage uh, borrowings or loans, they really are now paying a lot, as we will talk about a little bit later. Then there is The Guardian, who found that homelessness hotspots in the major cities, they have presently shifted to the outer suburbs, and public housing isn't even mentioned anymore as a possible bad solution for that. So, well, what's really going on? Professor Hall Pawson in the, United, in the UNSW, the University of New South Wales, City Futures Research Centre. He spelled it out for the Senate Economics Committee inquiry into Labour's magic pudding, or pudding fund. And I quote, The private rental market's efficacy in generating housing suitable for low-income Australians has been in steady decline for over more than 25 years. Census-based research shows that since 96, the shortfall in the number of private rental dwellings affordable to this group has increased from 48,000 to 212,000. End of quote. That means, and they go on to explain, or he, a person goes on to explain, decades of bipartisan support for the market to provide necessary housing has locked Australians into a system dependent on extraordinary housing inflation to sustain itself until it became unsustainable. It has delivered the present catastrophe of soaring rents, unaffordable prices and insufficient building, just as population growth is taking off again after COVID. The last time Australia was in a similar situation of a housing shortage and rapidly growing population, no less a figure than Sir Robert Menzies knew, and I quote, the market could not be left to deal with the problem that it required large-scale government involvement to make housing affordable. Oops, one can say, 25 to 50 years ago we are talking about the crisis building up to its present extent. Listening to Alan Kohler in the New Daily, and I quote again, let's face it, we need house prices to come down a bit. And he says that certainly with tongue-in-cheek, or at least stay where they are for a long time, preferably 55 years, as they did between 1895 and 1950, so we get out of the habit of seeing houses as wealth-creating assets. Also, prices and rents are simply too high for a supposedly egalitarian society to function properly. And a day later, in the same newspaper, there's Matthew Elmas, quoting figures published by Canstar, revealing that, and I quote, someone who bought a home at the national median price of 818000 in April 2022 could pay 4542 per month if the cash rate, the RBA cash rate, would hit 4.6%. 
and that is now forecast by the National Australian Bank. That is more than half of average after-tax income. Talking about the mortgage stress I mentioned before. Kanstar said, and I quote, The pace of interest rate rises over the past year has resulted in an unprecedented escalation in the amount of household income that is absorbed by repayments. Interest rates have gone up so quickly that pay rises have gone nowhere towards covering higher repayments. End of quote. But still, on 3AW, for example, there was controversy. There was a rental group, Better Renting, who had sparked outrage after telling homeowners who can afford a rental property to smell the roses and just be, basically, think about how lucky they are, as they owned more property than most people ever will. So the executive director of Better Renting, Joel Dignam, responded to the indignation about uh, referring to homeowners of rental property that they basically are lucky. He says, of course, he he knows that they have not just been lucky but also worked hard, probably, most of them, some of them. And And he said, I think this probably takes a lot of things to actually make sure that you can own many properties for rental. But there's a lot of hard-working, hard-working people who don't own any properties. And I think maybe the difference is a bit of good fortune. So probably the regulatory economic systems that are still set according to neoliberal ideologies and their assorted policies and intervention modes are still at work and therefore direct the money of society upwards rather than distribute it downwards. Having abandoned effective price controls during the last 30 or so years and leaving things to the the Reserve Bank and its monetary paradigms in a belief that the market will figure it all out certainly has now come home to roost. Unless, of course, there's no home for you to roost. How careful one has to be in Australia to really say anything that may, however gently, question the presumed ideal of the privately owned dream, the Australian dream, as we call it. And an access to that dream necessarily goes via the free market. Most of us who are trying to join and acquire the dream via that market have to submit to a bank mortgage. You know where the notion of mortgage comes from. It comes from the old French mortgage, literally translated dead pledge, so-called because the deal with the bank and the previous owner dies, either when the debt is paid or when payment fails. So that means that the dream, when you are going for a mortgage, is in constant mortal peril. There's also a market, that same market, which helps those who aren't allowed to be called lucky, because they have hard work to accumulate all these houses, a lot of those houses, or those dreams, if you want. They basically just follow the maxim of our capitalist system that you need to grow 
if you want to flourish. So therefore, accumulate houses. And then for many others, it is an impossible dream for the not-so-lucky ones who then have to compete in the free rental market, for which the even less lucky ones need some support from the commons, also known as the Commonwealth Rental Support System, if they even can find a place to satisfy their need for shelter, and for which the really, really unlucky ones don't even have they don't even come close to trying in any market, having to rely on the often, reluct often reluctant variety of commonses, either public housing, couch surfing, the streets, benches in parks, and so on, whilst being parked on a waiting list, but together with tens of thousands of others, or literally in a car, which has also known its best years and is parked somewhere where the police can't get you. So that means, when you count all of that together, that it's probably about one-third of the Australian population who is being stressed in the context of their housing needs, if not into a total housing stress. And then a few days ago, in the Australian Parliament, what did we hear? We saw the Greens, which basically are coming closest to questioning the credo attached to privately to the privately owned dream, and who also questioned the right of the owners of those properties uh, to actually squeeze half the income out of tenants for rent. We see those Greens ally with the National Liberal Coalition, who are really the epitome of the privately owned dreams. The more the better, and of the let the market rip conviction, they actually combine to, to defeat or delay Labour's admittedly rather insufficient housing crisis solution. But at least it was something they came up with. And the assorted independents and minor parties from David Pocock to Pauline Hanson somewhere spread along that continuum from the Greens to the Liberals with somehow the Labour Party sitting on the right side of the middle. So most of the mainstream media, that means news, nine entertainment, they conveniently or predictably or automatically blame the present government. So hence, as Australia is the best democracy in the entire world, the people have decided. And commentators in the press and elsewhere, they already start to talk about this impasse offering a trigger for a double dissolution, illustrating really the hierarchy of concerns and interests of those who tell us the news of the day, also known as journalists working for the free press. Let's have a bit of a rest for all of this and listen to Archie Roach. I had grown with my mother back home Cause I miss her sweet kisses and her smile And when I'm alone I wish I had known 
my mother for just a while On your walk with me, darling Just a couple of miles Won't you tell me the stories Of when I was a child With my father, I'm still missing And the touch of his strong, gentle hands Now I'm gone from the mission Cause someone's decision Kept me away from that man Want to walk with me, darling Just a couple of miles Won't you tell me the stories Of when I was a child I'd be so happy As the stories unfold Won't you walk with me, darling Listening to Think Again on 3CR Radio, 855 AM on your dial, and streaming live at 3cr.org.au. So, I was talking about housing today and trying to figure out what is it about the housing situation in this country that seems to be imperturbable, somehow stuck between that triangle or in that triangle of public housing now also being replaced by social housing, private rental and private property. It seems to be a bit of a lethal triangle where we don't really are able to get out of. So having a bit of a think about, and rather than this just becoming an exercise in comfortable middle-class cynicism, we probably should at least allow some deeper reflection about the real background to this miserable state of affairs. And for that, I basically would like to go to Thomas Piketty again. You know that he is one of our favourites and that uh, we have referred to him quite a couple of times. In his second thousand-pager, Capital and Ideology, he basically starts out this book as follows. Every human society must justify its inequalities. Unless reasons for them, for those inequalities, are found, the whole political and social edifice stands in danger of collapse. Every epoch 
therefore develops a range of contradictory discourses and ideologies for the purpose of legitimizing the inequality that already exists or that people believe should exist. And from these discourses emerge certain economic, social and political rules which people then use to make sense of the ambient social structure. In today's societies, these justificatory narratives comprise themes of property, entrepreneurship and meritocracy. Modern inequality is said to be just because it is the result of a freely chosen process in which everyone enjoys equal access to the market and to property and automatically benefits from the wealthiest individuals who are also the most enterprising, deserving and useful. So modern inequality is said to be diametrically opposed to the kind of inequality found in pre-modern societies, which was based on rigid, arbitrary and often despotic differences of status. End of quote. But still, I have been wondering about the kind of words we use when we talk about housing nowadays. And there is a clear continuity from these medieval feudal regimes onto the ownership societies we are now inhabiting. So some of those continuities, tenants still refer to the owner of the property they pay to inhabit as the land lord. That sounds pretty medieval to me. And rent is still used in its double meaning of to rent out property, grant possession and enjoyment in exchange for the consideration paid in the nature of rent, as the etymological dictionary tells me. But it also means to provide with revenue, endow with income, making those who are receiving that income rentiers, as uh, Alan, uh, Alan Kohler quite regularly reminds us of. As well, we all know, most of us having experienced it after all, how tenancy laws are utterly tilted to the interests and the rights of the owner. From the depositing of the bond, again, what does bond mean? Etymologically, it means in a state of a serve, unfree, tenant, farmer, holding land under a lord, in return for customary service. Bondage is one derivative notion. So think about that when you put down your bond for your next rental. To have to allow also inspections, often without much notice, and terminations of occupancy for rather spurious reasons. And we read also in The Guardian recently several stories about having to leave as soon as in two weeks. And finally, we all know how payments for the use of the property, rents, are moving usually up and how they are being linked to the vagaries of their exchange value in the market rather than their more stable and meaningful and sometimes also debatable use value. So briefly, Summarizing, the simple human quest for shelter against the elements has transmogrified from, firstly, being part and parcel of a collective's search for and maintenance of a commons of land, 
shelters, houses, homes, to then become presumably a deity imposed and ordained allocation of lordship over land and prop and people, eventually alienating or enclosing people's commons and then turn it into a crown or private realm. And then thirdly, to what we now experience as the individualized acquisition of land and buildings based on such ownership and state-sanctioned title, as we call it, allocating time-limited and space-limited and paid-for use of that property to non-owners. So the very clear predominance of the ownership kind of value which is being negotiated in markets over the use value of what we all need, and that is shelter. So as long as we therefore keep the dominance of that privately owned property versus rental proper, uh, rental private uh, private rentals, sorry, uh, or and then public housing, which no one wants and therefore starts calling social housing nowadays, which is still a rather different kind of thing to public housing, which is offered as a... As a, as a contribution by the commons for those who can't afford to live in those privately owned kind of places. So why is it that we rarely think about alternatives to all of that, to that lethal triangle of private, owner, uh, pri uh, private ownership, private rental and public dependencies? Well, it's unclear to me why it is that we really never talk about that, but it must have to do with the fact that too many people actually make a living out of the present system. I just think about the real estate industry and think about the ways and the, 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 the comedies which are often being played out uh, at, at uh, auctions or at sales. So in the new community journal, we actually have looked really and are looking at a variety of alternatives to the privately owned and private rental system. We talk about things like home share, uh, where people who have actually an, a home, uh, home owners who are becoming more and more incapable of taking care of that home, who invite someone who can't afford a home into their home to share it as shelter, but also in exchange for some services which particularly older people or people with disabilities, can't perform themselves anymore. Home share is a growing uh, kind of a possibility. Uh, and uh, for those of you interested, you can go to Hansa, H-A-N-Z-A, which is Home Share Australia New Zealand Association. And we'll put, I'll put all of those into the uh, website. Then there is, of course, cooperative housing, which has been around certainly in Victoria for about 50 years, but has really not been very much supported. There's something like two to 3,000 uh, cooperatively owned uh, and managed houses uh, in Victoria. Uh, then the next one would be co-housing, which is someone, something a little bit new, but it is a version of an intentional community where people gather together to spend lives more together than isolated in their private homes and in their semi-private streets and who therefore try to organize the way, create in a way, a new small commons 
where they share both the joys and the burdens of what a shelter may bring and may demand. So there's a variety of uh, ways in which there now actually are available alternatives which just should be getting a little bit more attention. So we're entering now into the, yeah, the last few minutes of our programme. One particular thing needs to be uh, brought to your attention again, and that is that we need to continue to resist the AUKUS deal. No nuclear submarines. So tonight at 6 o'clock at Victorian Trades Hall, Ligon Street, South Carlton, there is a... Uh, a meeting to reject the plan to spend $368 billion on nuclear submarines and probably put a little bit more in public housing. Instead of building alliances with the US and other powers for potential war with China, Australia should be focusing on solutions for crisis, such as cost of living, housing and global warming, and creating more sustainable and long-term jobs. So that's... The Last of Us and The Last of Me Alone Today. Thanks for listening again to Think Again on 3CR Community Radio and supporting our programme. Again, don't forget that we're still in Radiothon Week. If you want to send us a message, you can email Borderlands, borders at borderlands.org.au. Past programmes are available by podcast and your favourite platform and or via the 3CR website at 3cr.org org.au We have a revolution Nina Simon Oh shoot Maybe we'll do them both I don't know Hey we're in the middle of a revolution Because I see The face of things to come Yes I You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.